Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. This is Tommy Yanolis, one of the founders of Ops Analytica. I want to thank you for checking out the Order Up podcast. If you're looking to run better, safer, and more profitable restaurants, I highly encourage you to start managing by checklists and using the Ops Analytica Inspector to help you hold your managers more accountable and to get that increased visibility into your daily operations. Check us out online at opsanalytica.com or just search Restaurant Checklist app. Hey, welcome to this episode of the Order Up Show, the only podcast that's 100% dedicated to restaurant operators and restaurant operations. Uh, Hey, it's Tommy Yanoulis. I'm going to be your host today, and I am very excited to uh, welcome as our guest, Doug Davis. So Doug is the COO and the founder of the Beck Group, and the Beck Group owns 12 Zaxby's chicken restaurants, mostly in South Carolina, and they are growing to be 24 Zaxby's uh, out in Kansas as well. So Doug, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, and full disclosure, Doug and I work together. Doug is a client of our Ops Analytica platform, and uh, and he's they've done some really cool stuff down there at Zaxby's. And I thought that the listeners of the podcast would really want to learn. Um, excuse me, with Beck, and I thought the listeners of the podcast would really want to just hear more about what you guys are doing and how you're uh, you're growing your empire. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, well, cool. So Ed, just to remind people, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, uh, we ask the same five questions to every restaurant operator. And um, and so that way you can listen to each of the episodes and hear the same kind of uh, cool questions being answered. So we'll just kick it off, Doug, and I'll ask you question number one, which is explain what your uh, job is today. And then if you wouldn't mind sort of taking us through your career path uh from your sort of first start in the industry to where you are today all right well i'm not sure if we'll have time for the full career path i'll (laughs) have to give you the abridged version of it but uh today um you know i as as you introduced me i'm the coo and one of the co-founders of the bet group and um i started with uh zaxby's in 1998 and and at the real base level with them at the store level. So what I do day to day now is, is just night and day. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily get out and work with people hands on like I, like I used to and kind of more like I'm accustomed to, um, spend a lot of time doing administrative things, which I can now finally kind of answer the question. It's been looming in my head ever since I took a Myers Briggs exam in college once that said I was supposed to be an administrative, an executive administrator. I didn't really know what that was until I guess I became one. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, as far as uh, my, my, my career path, uh, it literally started. I mean, fast food was where it began, McDonald's in the late 80s. You know, typical fast food, uh, uh, you know, getting in and getting dirty and coming up through the ranks. I worked at McDonald's. I've worked at Burger King's. Um, you know, through the, through the restaurant career path that took was Red Lobster. And ironically, that's kind of where I found my entire life, as it would turn out. Uh, I met Zach and Tony, the founders of Zaxby's, by waiting on them and uh, more or less took a job offer <laughs> standing side, you know, next to their table. I met my wife at the same restaurant. And, um, you know, ever since then, I've just been 
growing our, like you said, our own little empire of restaurants. I didn't dream that, you know, something like this was possible really, but uh, meeting the right people at the right time and, and not being afraid to put in some 95, 105 hour weeks, you know, do just about anything. So real quick, what age were, were you when you started at uh, McDonald's? Oh, you know, you know, 15, 16, you know, right there, entry level. Um, you know, I actually even was, uh, worked at showbiz pizza, which is more known now, I guess, as Chuck E. Cheese's. And I used to literally walk around in the, in the bear suit you know, for four and a quarter an hour <laughs> back in those days. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I asked this question first in every podcast because and, and, and probably the people who listen to all of them are tired of me saying this, but like, it's because everybody in this industry started at the basic level. Like nobody came in as COO of a restaurant company because you can't run restaurants unless you've actually worked every position in restaurants. So it's just awesome to hear that you were the, the showbiz pizza bear. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and what's so funny is that that manager never thought you would own, you know, 12 restaurants. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I don't know that my behavior probably warranted that sort of expectation either. But, oh yeah, you know, yeah. early days. But, um, yeah, it, it's it, you're I, I 100% agree. You know, everyone that I know that's been successful in this business and that can really, uh, you know, operate a restaurant at a micro level, which is what's necessary, quite honestly, has come in, like you said, from the bottom. You got to know you got to walk a mile in everybody's shoes here. For sure. Now, so let's dive into that Red Lobster story. So you literally, like, almost like in that movie Waiting, you, like, waited on a table. You were probably giving great service, I would assume, because if you weren't giving great service, those guys wouldn't have offered you a job. Right. And uh, you were you were wowing the guest. And then, literally, they were the founders of Zaxby's. How big was, how big was Zaxby's at the time when you waited on those guys and got the job offer? All right. Well, it was very small. Um, they started in 1990 in Statesboro just a one store operation. And, uh, you know, this again, you fast forward to 1998. So they were eight years in and really just starting to dabble with getting as you know many franchise agreements out there as possible, you know, trying to grow that brand and really understand what that looked like. Uh, the menu had changed uh, over the years, but at the time I started, it was very basic. Even to today's standards, we've got more sandwiches and more salads, but, you know, uh, you know, Coming in, you know, at a time when they had maybe 13 stores, I think is what it was. Sure. And uh, there's almost 800 today. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. And then they do, they do markets, right? So, like, you buy a market through Zaxby's, and then that's how you can develop a market. You get, like, sort of a, yeah, a market. You get you have to own an area, right? Is that true? That's pretty much where it has come to. Yeah, it hasn't always been like that. Um, you know, you could come in and, and just buy one or two wherever you could find a place. Uh, you know, I'm sure as, as as the company's gotten to the size it has and, and as Zach and Tony's goals are kind of coming true, you know, they've always kind of wanted to be a national brand, I believe. they You have to kind of, you know, overcome those, those kind of hurdles and, and really go after, you know, I think some of the guys and, you know, who've got bigger operations that can come in and buy entire markets. I mean, I don't, I don't see it any other way. You can, if you, we, if we were to try and go into pioneer markets now and, and move as slow as we did in some of our early growth, uh, I don't think we could survive as a brand. I don't think we would grow it fast enough to be able to support it. Sure. So 
you're the first uh, multi-unit uh, franchisee I've had on the podcast. And, you know, I worked at Quiznos at the corporate side, and I had two sort of main roles there. Uh, my first job was a really brutal job. It was, uh, I was the manager of the franchise assistance program. And this was back in 08, when like the economy was crashing and Quiznos had kind of already crested at their up that their max store count which was in the 5000s and was uh starting to go back down and so i probably got that job when we were in the 4500 ish range of units but mm -hmm. we were dropping a lot of units um and so and then i did ops too so i've seen it from the franchisor side but what is the keys to success from the multi-unit franchisee side so because a lot of the guys that are that listen to the show they might be thinking i want to go open my own place maybe i'll go open a franchise or or five or ten can you kind of allude to which i know this wasn't on the prepared question list but can you allude to some of the keys to success of being a good multi-unit franchisee it actually is very simple um and again, I came from the corporate side too. I mean, I might've jumped over that, but when I, when Zach and Tony offered me the job, I worked for the corporate office. I worked for Zaxby's franchise. So it wasn't for a few years that I got out and started licensing on my own. So, you know, in order to, to run multi-units, you've got to follow the system that's been true, you know, tried and tested. And that's what those guys did. And that's what I did when I was on that side, we would, take one for the team as it were you know we would test things out we would try systems we would you know try new equipment or whatever it was and you know by the time i started licensing myself i you know i was ready to follow the system and of course it doesn't hurt that i already had a lot of experience with people and restaurants in general i mean that doesn't hurt but yeah i'm just gonna i'm gonna toot their horn and say that the system works that's why so the, yeah that's why you have to follow as a, a franchise it's it's a set of you know rules and and systems that if, if if they're saying this is how they've done it then you know who am I to say no? <laughs> well, and I think the real decision because I would agree with that completely. My buddy owns some Liberty Taxes, which is a franchise too, and he has one of the most successful stores in in Colorado, and it's because he followed their system to the T and did all the local star marketing, which is what you need to do and hit. I mean, it, you know, and those franchises, ex, especially, but I think the real thing that I would say from my perspective, having been on one of the more dupe, having worked at one of the more dubious franchises, which I didn't even realize Quiznos was in so much trouble when I took that job there, I had gotten <laughs> laid off and I needed a job and they offered me one and I was like, woohoo, a paycheck. So I just went to work there. But, uh, What's it called? Uh, I think the key to being successful in a franchise system, number one, I would say is you got to pick the right franchise system. Like, and everybody and his brother is trying to franchise these days because the, the barrier to entry of franchising has gone way down building that, uh, whatever that document is that you have to build the big, uh, franchise agreement document that you have to get approved yeah. by the government. And, you know, all of the technology that's in the system, in the restaurant world today has allowed a guy with one restaurant to go, Hey, I'm going to franchise, you know, and I granted everybody starts with one restaurant at one point, but like, you really got to pick the right franchise system. And I think too, one of the things you have to really look at is how many corporate stores do they own? Because when they don't own enough corporate stores, then they, they can tend to make mistakes 
They should test in their own corporate stores before they release to the system. That'd be one thing I would look at. And I think another thing I would look at would be, you know, are the incentives of the system in line with what your incentives are as a franchisee, right? Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And, 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 and it's the franchise selection process, you know I mean? Uh, finding the right people to represent the brand. Yep. Not just does the brand align with me as an individual? Am I, am I going to, you know, help this brand toe the line or am I going to be a problem? Yeah. Because there's a lot of risk too with the franchise system today, especially because, you know, we have all these gigantic national brands. And if you have a couple of bad actors out there and they get some people sick because they're just not doing what they're supposed to do, look at Dickies with that chemicals in the iced tea or whatever, right? right? You know, that can hit every store in your chain. I mean, look at what Chipotle is going through right now. They're still down in the 25, 26% same store sales. You know, this, this has happened to, to, to franchise change since I was a kid. I mean, I remember Jack in the Box going through problems, you know, back yeah. in the 80s. I mean, it's, it's going to be something. You know, yep. That's one of the, you just have to, to work diligently to try and protect your brand. For sure. Well, cool. Uh, so let's move on to question number two. Uh, what is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? Well, it's funny that you mentioned 2008 a second ago, because the last time I was trying to micromanage the numbers as I am today, as an initiative, it was about that long ago. Um, you know, it seems like the climate has changed a little bit, you know, over time. And, mm -hmm. and certainly over my lifetime with Zaxby's, you know, when chicken, you know, used to cost half of what it does today. And you couldn't find chicken fingers or wings or anything else at any other place in the world. You know, sure. It was pretty rare. You had to go to a sit down restaurant, but of course now McDonald's has mighty wings. Everyone has chicken fingers on their menu, even though they're not real chicken tenders like ours, they're, you know, breast meat that's been cut to look like a finger. We of course just use the tender itself, but you know, it's, it's, it's changed. And so we have to really, manage the businesses a lot more than just sort of perhaps writing a successful marketing strategy or a brand that's on a, you know, that comps up year over year over year. You know what I mean? We, we, we witnessed that, but it does have to sort of slow down over time. And I think we're kind of almost at that point. So sure. that is my, my biggest initiative now is to try and continue to really to try and continue to put the same amount of dollars to the bottom line that we have been doing, even though the people cost more. <laughs> the insurance yeah. costs more, the food costs more. Um, but, you know, there, there's areas to, to, to find this, in my opinion. And it's just, you know, some, so I guess when the gravy's coming, you don't have to really look that hard. You don't have to look for the pennies because there's so many nickels and dimes laying around. But it's not like that anymore. So that, that's my big initiative. It, can you explain what, like how the overtime law is going to affect you guys and kind of what you're, you're looking at doing? Are you making any kind of structural scheduling changes? Are you scheduling less or? Well, I mean, I, to, the thing about all this was, you know, back when, when all this started happening and, and all the regulations started to be rewritten, we were planning on just upping the ante, so to speak, for the people that work for the Bet Group. We wanted to make it you know, a, a place where people would want to come to work. We want to make it the benefits work. We, so we were literally trying to strategize on how we could give, get people insurance, you know, give everybody insurance. You know, why not? That's what the right thing to do, right? Okay. 
something we try and do. So it, what, what, what essentially ended up happening is we did have to react to the, the regulations that are coming down because at the, at the end of the day, what you find is you know, we're still you know, considered by most, and if you listen to the media, we are the low-waged worker at the restaurant level. Am I right? At the fast food yeah. level, that's what it's considered. It's a starting job, if you will. But um, yeah, that environment has affected things. You know, we, you know, when you have to consider, you know, who works thirty hours and, and who works forty, we want the right people working forty, and we want to we want them to have insurance. That's that's our stance. So we're just trying to to fill our our restaurants with the right people so that we don't have to be concerned about whether or not they're getting insurance or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the thing is, is like, I know that there's a, there's a stigma in, in the world that says, you know, like, like fast food. Oh no, fast food. And you know, it is the low wage worker. And, and you know, I mean, I, in, in a lot of ways it is, it's high, a lot of times it's a lot of high school kids or sure. it might be people that whatever, but like we were, I was literally having, I did an interview uh, yesterday as well for the podcast and we were having the same conversation. I know a lot of incredibly wealthy people who own a lot, like, just like you, I'm not saying you're wealthy. I don't know if you're wealthy. <laughs> I, I, I know a lot of wealthy people who have managed fast food restaurants is what I was saying. Cause my old bosses uh, all came from KFC, you know, and they had done incredibly well in yum. I mean, incredibly well. Right. And uh, you know, and I knew a guy, I related to the story yesterday that, the guy started as a burger flipper and when i when i met his son he had 14 mcdonald's you know what i mean and so it's like the the fast food industry is an entry-level position but you can make a really good career in fast food and 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 what you have to remember is is that these fast food systems are incredibly complex they're incredibly large and and they're all systems driven and so really you don't think of it as i'm going to sell burgers and fries I'm going to work in a very systematized manufacturing environment, which I just happen to be manufacturing, you know, chicken fingers, but that's what I'm basically going to do. Absolutely. I think if people would realize that this is, you know, it was entry level and that, that's what I've looked at it. You know, I said, I started out at McDonald's and that's what I, I, it, I came in to start learning the business world and I didn't come into it with any context that it was wrong or, the low wage job or whatever. I just thought this is where you started. That's where you're supposed to go. Yeah. And that, that sort of mindset does not exist. So it's challenging. So I would go off the script again too. Uh, are you guys like, are the millennials like driving you insane or no? Cause everybody I know that has to hire millennials is like pulling their hair out. <laughs> well, you know, again, you know, again, I'm not, not, I don't want to stereotype or put people in a basket, but I don't know how many millennials are going to want to be hired to work a line job at a restaurant like that. Sure. You know, most millennials that I know, I've had to promote to <laughs> upper level management because that's the expectation. But they are smart, multitasking, you know, sure. very inquisitive youngsters. Um, uh, so the millennials, I think, maybe jumped right just over the first step right into middle management somehow. <laughs> Well, good for them. Then they, they work the system good for, them, for themselves. <laughs> That's what my, I'm starting to realize. They're very, they're very efficient. <laughs> my, my buddy's the CEO of a burger chain and he asked his team, like, as he's trying to like, just figure out stuff and he is asking the millennials and, and this is why I think millennials will have a hard time in the restaurant industry because it is a, it, it's monotonous. I mean, you know, it it, you know, you, 
you cook fries by putting a basket of fries into a fryer and then three minutes later you pull it out and you dump it over here and you do it again and so like they were he asked his crew and they were like they didn't want to cook bacon every day like why do we have to cook bacon can't we just like if they don't like monotony and repetition and so much of working in a cooking in a restaurant is I don't want to say monotony in a bad way, but it's repetition. You know, it's just like, this is what you do. Like we have 10 item menu, you make these 10 items and you're going to do it 500 times a shift. So just, you know, mentally understand that. And not only that, we have to follow a system that was given to us and millennials really don't like that. They want to know why it was written that way. Why couldn't it be done this way or another way? Yeah. Now that's all well and good at the level that I've got some of these guys working in now because I need some critical thinking people to stop looking at it the way it was looked at and look at it another way. Sure. But I don't, they, I don't keep a lot of them on the line, Tommy. They don't stay at that level. <laughs> they either quit or they're promoted. I'll put it that way. That's awesome. Uh, hey, let's move on to question number three. What is one thing in the in, uh, what is one thing in the industry or your business that it's keeping you up at night? Uh, you know, I, did, I thought about this question uh, when I saw it. Um, I don't really get, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't keep, I'm not, I don't stay up at night. I sleep through the night. Good for you. I, I, uh, I tried to think of something that might bother me and every now and then I might wake up and it, but it won't be anything, you know, you know, super important. It'll just be a, a task like, oh, did you do that thing? You know, did you take care of that? You know, it'll be one of those type of things that I'm like uh, staying up at night, but no, to say that, like, you know, I, I could, I honestly, I could be kept up at night by many, many, many things. I just don't <laughs> allow it. Um, well, you have to teach me how to do that. So <laughs> <laughs> I uh, try and just stay busy all day. I wore one of those Fitbit once and um, for a little while, just to find out kind of uh, tracked myself. And it turns out that I, I cover almost nine miles a day on average. And this nice. was over about a six month period. I'm so tired at the end of the day. Usually I don't, it doesn't matter. Well, that, hit the sack. That's awesome. Cool. Uh, the, um, question number four, what is the one thing that you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Protecting our customers a little bit better. And I don't know why I would maybe put that on the industry, but it seems like, and that's what slows it down. And let me explain. Right now we've got, chip readers on all these credit cards, right? Mm-hmm. Or chips in the cards. And that's, that's great. That's great. Because w- I want my customer to know when they spend money at my restaurant that it's safe. They can use their card. It's not going to get stolen and their identity safe, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you might find it strange that you ask me a question about the restaurant industry and it winds up just talking about data security. But at this day and age, that's where we are. And it, in our industry, I don't know if you've noticed this when you go out, uh, I've seen the chip readers in grocery stores and in other retail places like this, but when it comes to food and some of the quicker service type places, no one's going to that yet because the technology is slow. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's almost hard to even get and implement, you know, the, I can't tell you how many POS systems are in our industry from, you know, PosiTouch to Micros to, you know, ECR, whatever it is, you know, there's all these systems. They've all got to talk the same language. They've all got to understand how chip readers and EMV and all this point to point stuff work. And, and, and for us, it's, it, it might be an industry thing. It might be that uh, the Zaxby's brand itself, we're trying to, to make sure that we make the right choice to protect our customer. But currently there is still 
some, um, I'm not saying that our customers are in danger by any means, but I'm saying, you know, we would like to get to that next step um, a little bit quicker. And it seems to me like you can put your thumb on your phone these days and it'll open up and, well, you know, maybe a thumb reader <laughs> yeah. might be what we need out there to get transactions going quickly because it takes an extra 30 seconds. And believe me, if you read my, my uh, drive-through um, comments from customers, they, they don't want to wait. They want to come through quicker. And even though Zaxby's is quick service and not so much fast food, even though people will argue that, um, you know, we, you know, they want it quick. And this type of thing not only is slowing them down, it's slowing us down and it's not helping protect the consumer. I do believe that the chip reader is a, a huge debacle and I'm dying to see how much it affects retail at Christmas time. Yeah. Because they didn't, they like there's, I think the Ignacio or I, I G and those ones seem to be fast. The ones that they have in the Walgreens and I, I it's like a, I can't think of the name. It's like in G I G N it's got like a red label. Exactly. Those ones seem to be quick, but everyone else, it just, is like pulling teeth for that. And I don't understand why, because that thing should, I mean, you know, it should be lightning fast. Like, I think the technology's there. I don't, it doesn't make sense. You know, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and so maybe it's just that I don't understand enough to, 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 to know what they're up against, but as a, as someone that's just out here and wanting that type of protection. And also as a consumer, when I go out, I kind of don't want to be slowed down either, yeah. but I do want to be protected. So. So is it affecting your sales? Like, are you guys, uh, are you guys seeing a slowdown in um, drive-through traffic or, or is it just. Not necessarily. Not, not that I would attribute to something like this. If anything, it creates, um, there's loopholes and, and, and we've seen more chargebacks you know, just due mm. to the fact that it's a known thing, you know, especially if you have an online order system and, and people can order food and then dispute it. And then we don't get that money. We're out the food, we're out the money and there's nothing we can do. You know, it used to be that if it was $25 or less, you didn't have to sign. That was the big new technology. What three, four, five years ago. Oh, that'll be great. Then anybody who doesn't sign under 25, if we get charged back, the, the credit card company will still give us our money and just, you know, whatever. They'll wash their hands of it. But what's happened is it's turned into more of a, a known thing that criminals have gotten into where our chargebacks have gone up. I can't even tell you. I, my partner sat down a, a, a folder yesterday that was two or three inches thick for a month worth of, of, of people just, you know, charging back their food orders and then we're out that money. Do you guys have camera? I mean, I'm just curious because this is the first time I'd heard of this, but do you guys, could you like take a picture of each, there's like a way to snap a photo of each transaction so that if there was a chargeback, you could send the picture to the credit card company and be like, Hey dude, here you go. <laughs> well, I mean, we do have video surveillance and we have been able to capture some of these people doing, doing this. Um, but you know, it's hard to, I mean, you can't really start a criminal investigation when it's just like, a, it's, it's, you know, like we literally, I think we talked to the police. I can't recall one of my, one of my guys, one of my regional managers might've spoken to somebody, but he was like, yeah, they were like, you know, we can't really, you know, do anything about it. We're like, well, we've got their license plate. We've got a picture of the guy. We know it was a bum card. Sorry. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're like, they're not going to chase that down. 
And so speaking to some other licensees last week, I was in a meeting and they're, they're seeing a, a high uptick in, in this activity. And um, you know, it's just counterproductive. We, we've literally got to spend time going and looking for these things and to dispute them only to have them denied because we don't have EMV or chip reader technology. That stinks. So we have done some internal things. We no longer you know, take credit cards. When you buy gift cards, for example, you have to pay cash uh, yeah. because that, that was kind of a known scam as well. You could charge up gift cards with a bum credit card and then sell them at half price to people apparently on some websites. Sure. Again, I don't know all the, all the inner workings of it. All I know is how I'm being taken. <laughs> And, and, and it wouldn't be so bad. And what they're hoping is they're just hitting mom and pops probably, but I've got 12 stores and if they're all getting hit, you know, with a, you know, 500 bucks a month in chargebacks, you start to do those numbers over time and it's not something you can truly ignore. Yeah. I mean, that's 6,000 a month. It's not 72,000 a year. Yeah. That's the cost of doing business now. No. Yeah. Wow. That thanks for thanks for talking about that because I I'm curious and pe- people please add comments if you're experiencing the same thing because you know I read an interesting article on LinkedIn about how they introduce chip reader cards but they're really made for retail not for restaurants and like what do you do you know like what do you do at, if you're you know a full service restaurant and you have to like a waiter coming up you know that kind of stuff like it's not really well thought out for the restaurant industry, but then they imposed it and it's just kind of a pain in the butt. <laughs> so. yeah. I, I understand the reasoning for some of this stuff, but you know, it needs to work in tandem, the technology and the, and the rollout of the regulations have to kind of somehow work. For sure. Um, okay. So we're on to our last question of the podcast. Uh, Recount the funniest or worst thing that's happened to you in your career. I'm just looking for that like super awesome story. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I, I was thinking about this too. You know, I, I had a, I had just one of those really brain fart moments long, long time ago in technology. Was young. I'm, I say that because I'm, I'm when I was in college, you know, Windows wasn't invented yet. So yeah, to go back to you know, fax machines were prevalent and things like this. I was working at the corporate office for the first time. And, you know, I was telling you guys this story when I, when I met Zach and Tony in 98, by 99 or so I was by 2000, I was in the office. I'd made it from the store level to the office and was starting to grow uh, some of the corporate structure. Uh, and um, my boss at the time, um, who's one of the executives uh, for the company to this day, asked me to fax something. <laughs> and being young and kind of dumb and just sort of maybe a little bit nervous. I said, okay, I'm going to make a copy of it so we can keep one. <laughs> now, if you didn't get that, let it sink in for a second because my boss looked at me and goes, I want you to think about what you said and I'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Cause it wasn't going to disappear folks. You, you fact something, you get to keep the original. And that yeah. was sort of my right in front of my, my new big boss. And I was trying to impress. So that was not one of my, <laughs> Most crowning moments. Well, it, what's hilarious is is that any millennial who's listening to this is going to be like, fax? What the heck is a fax? <laughs> exactly. So a fax machine was a machine that would scan in your document and then shoot it over the phone line to another fax machine where it would print it out. So <laughs> awesome. It did not disappear. No. 
Oh, well, cool. Well, Doug, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Is there anything that you want to uh, pitch or plug? This is the the plug time. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I don't get so much unplugging, Tommy. I appreciate the offer, though. No problems. Well, if you if you live in uh, South Carolina or Kansas and you're looking for a career in the restaurant industry, you should check out the Beck Group. And uh, thank you, Doug, for being on the podcast once again. And uh, we'll see everybody later. Thank you for listening to the Order Up show. Take care. Thank you.